Why, hello, I'm Natalie Zett, and welcome to Flower in the River. Flower in the River is a podcast about a book I wrote of the same name, and that book is about the Eastland disaster that took place in 1915 in Chicago, and how that long-ago tragedy affected my family for generations. I'll talk about writing and family history and what to do when the supernatural comes into your life when you're innocently doing a family history research project. Come on and let's have some fun with this. Well, hello again. This is another first. So, last week's episode, if you were there for that, I opened with a trigger warning for good reason if you listen to that episode. This time, though, there's no trigger warning. But I do have some news for you about my book, Flower in the River. So just this week, the specific date was May 19th, 2023. The Eastland Disaster Historical Society there in Arlington Heights, Illinois, began promoting my book. And I am, hmm, I'm beyond honored to be part of them in this way, too, because we go way back to about 25 years ago. I discovered the Eastland Disaster Historical Society, which was brand new, about a year or so into my research, I honestly forget when I found them, but it was after I had already gone deep into my um, searches. I contacted them, met Ted Wachholz, the president. I even attended one of their big yearly events, which I fictionalized in my book. It was beyond memorable. But Life went on, and I kept in sporadic contact with them throughout the years, but really didn't reconnect until after writing my book. Ted, his wife, Barbara Decker Wachholz, and Barb's sister, Susan Decker, are all co-founders of this amazing organization. I need a word other than amazing, but hopefully you know what I mean. So, Barbara and Susan's grandmother, Borkhild Amelia Onsted, was 13 years old, and she was also aboard the Eastland. But Borkhild survived, otherwise Barbara and Susan wouldn't be here. I'll put a link to her story in the show notes because it's quite precious, quite beautiful. And while you're on their site, take a look around. Anything, and I mean anything related to the Eastland, is on this site. So that's my very first book promotion, which is very cool. And something else came to mind this week, probably as the result of my interactions with the folks at the Eastland Disaster Historical Society again. I want to say to everyone who is listening to this podcast or, or who has purchased my book, thank you. And I want to thank you for remembering the Eastland. It boggles my mind that this horrendous event that affected so many lives that took place in Chicago is still very much unknown in certain circles. Just a couple of weeks ago, 
I began working with a new website designer. Check out the new website, by the way, if you haven't. She has a beautiful aesthetic, and she did such a great job interpreting my intent, I I should say. She also never heard of the Eastland. So I want to thank you, all of you, for, again, being part of keeping this memory, this event alive. None of us can do it on our own, even though some of us really try hard by doing books and podcasts and things like that, but we just can't do it. And it is important to remember that this happened. It should have never gotten lost, but thanks to you for at least knowing about it, you're helping to honor those lives and honor those families, including mine. So thank you, thank you, thank you for remembering the 844 who died, those who survived, and those whose families were forever changed. But now, onward to this week's episode, which is a lot lighter than last week's. If you recall, the main character, Zara, was learning about her family's connection to the Eastland, and simultaneously, she was bombarded with flashbacks to earlier times in her own life. And some of these flashbacks, if you listen to the last episode, were not that pleasant. But as she's diving deeper into her family history, she makes another startling discovery that had her questioning everything about choices, free will, and so on. Now, before I read from Flower in the River, I'm going to read something else, an opener from a TV series called One Step Beyond, which ran, I think, in the late 50s and for sure in the early 60s. It was never as well known as The Twilight Zone, but similar in that there was a narrator, John Newland, who would often open and close each episode. This particular episode is called Legacy of Love, and it really blends in nicely with the passages that I'll be reading from Chapter 2, Annie's Granddaughter. Looking back on my own experience of doing the research and then writing what would become this book, it seems that we all have a hidden connection to certain places an inexplicable force that pulls us toward locations with profound and often ancestral significance. These experiences really are not uncommon. They are woven into the fabric of our human existence, and yet we often struggle to find the right words to describe these uncanny synchronicities and mind-boggling coincidences. In this episode of the podcast, ethereal elements gently imbue the narrative, offering a subtle dance with the supernatural that is rather restrained. This is about the extraordinary power of intuition and the delicate whispers of a still small voice within. Our protagonist, Zara, found herself inexplicably attuned to this inner voice. It guided her to a place where she had no connections, 
no familiar faces, and no history. Zara's story is a testament to the enigmatic forces that shape all our lives, pushing us toward uncharted territories. Here's the opener to the episode called Legacy of Love from the TV series One Step Beyond, which was broadcast in 1960. Behold the common starfish. Usually he has five points, but sometimes in the fierce struggle for existence beneath the sea, he loses a point or even a limb. The parent body drifts away, and the lost limb, willing somehow to become a part of that which was once the whole, is left by itself, lost forever by itself. And then, within the billion cells of the seemingly dead member, longing is translated into growth. Now, cell by cell, the limb remembers that of which it was once a part, and now, cell by cell, reconstructs itself into the shape, the function, and the pattern of that to which it once belonged. Until, finally, memory becomes reality. A new starfish has been created. This was done by a very common creature, the common starfish. And that's the end of that passage from One Step Beyond. So now I will switch to reading from Chapter 2, Annie's Granddaughter. And at this point, Zara is still studying the documents she received from her Aunt Pearl. Her head is reeling, about ready to explode. And she's trying to make sense of all these names and people and places that are part of her life, but sadly, most of which she never heard of. Here's the passage. Her grandmother's parents and siblings were born in different places, and her great-aunt Martha, like her, was born in Johnstown. The only difference was Martha's family left Johnstown for Chicago, while Zara's left for Cleveland. We were born in the same city, albeit decades apart. She turned a page and read that her great-grandmother's siblings and her great-great-grandmother initially moved to a small village in western Wisconsin called Falling Brook. Back up. Western Wisconsin? Just across the border? She remembered Falling Brook as one of those blink-and-you-miss-it towns from her travels to and through nearby Eau Claire. Oh, my Lord, I'm only a stone's throw away from an ancestral land. I moved to the upper Midwest to escape family and start with a clean slate. What did I do? Does this happen to other people? I'm afraid to turn another page in this thing. And that's the end of this very short section from Chapter 2. But 
If you go to an earlier episode in this podcast series called Little Towns, Big History, that I released on April 15th, 2023, that gives a lot of detail about this little town with big history. And that details what happened. And that episode was the result of a discussion I was having on Facebook, of all places, with the current and past residents of Fall Creek, Wisconsin, which is the actual place that Falling Brook in Flower in the River is based on. And I should clarify that when I say this place that I moved to, I mean Minneapolis-St. Paul. However, it is only one hour and a half away from this very rich but very small ancestral homeland for me, the place where my maternal line, a big part of my maternal line, immigrated to in the late 1800s. So as I was being introduced to my family history, I was bombarded by so many things. My own memories of my childhood. And then the icing on the cake was to find out that I had moved to the land, an ancestral land, not any ancestors, but the ancestors who are connected to my maternal grandmother, Annie Pfeiffer, and my great-aunt, Martha Pfeiffer. And it was one thing for the character to learn she had this history, the character Zara, I mean, but to learn that she also moved very close to where many of these relatives and ancestors had also moved, that was a lot to take in, and her brain was, well, exploding. And back to that initial reading that I did from that TV series, the episode Legacy of Love was about a woman who inexplicably goes to a seaside village. She's not sure why she's there, but everything seems familiar to her. And she meets a guy. And the guy and she have a sort of romance, but not really. Still, she's not sure why she's drawn to him. For one thing, he's married, and that's just not her speed. And he's not sure why he's drawn to her. And it's uh, kind of a big mess. It seems like so many things are going on with this relationship or friendship that they are developing. And both of them are confused. They feel as if they're off-center. And finally, the woman returns to her home. She's a fairly young woman living with her mother, who's probably in her 60s. And she tells her mother all of this. And her mother says, oh, dear. And then her mother, when she hears the name of the man that the younger woman met, the mother sits her down and says, I don't know why this happened, but you're living out part of my life. When the mother was younger, she met the father of this man that her daughter has just met. And they had not an affair, but a deep connection with each other. They realized that it was the wrong person, wrong time, etc., and they went back to their respective lives. And then, during the last year, the mother's husband died. 
And once again, this woman, this mother, began reliving this relationship, and she wondered, what happened to this guy? And so the daughter goes to the very seaside village where her mother had gone years before, met the son of the man that her mother had met and was kind of involved with. And the son comes to visit both the mother and the woman. The woman says to her daughter and to this man that I have to release you. You're living out my dream. It's pretty simple the way it was written and portrayed in 1960, but the gist of it, it really is still profound as to why some of us will go to places as I did and as I had my character Zara go. We go to places we're drawn to because they seem so familiar. And there is an obsessional thing that starts to develop with a person or a character and these particular places. A character becomes single-minded of purpose when it comes to attaching themselves to these strange places. However, in the middle of being drawn to these places, the character or, or even a real person can occasionally step outside themselves and say, what in the hell am I doing? Why am I drawn to this place? And of course, there never is an easy answer. The character has to live into the answer, and that's what happens here in this story. At any rate, this is going to be kind of a short episode, so I'm going to read now from the closing remarks from the episode Legacy of Love from One Step Beyond. And next week, we'll continue. The wild bird is drawn to a nest that it has never seen. The part remembers the whole, and out of it, the limb of the starfish creates the parent from which it was torn. Now, do you suppose that we only inherit the color of our eyes, the shape of our heads, or is there a deeper memory in every cell? A genetic memory. And we don't really know, do we? End of passage. Hey, that's it for this episode, and thanks for coming along for the ride. Please subscribe or follow so you can keep up with all the episodes. For more information, please go to my website. That's www.flowerintheriver.com, and I'll have that and more information in the show notes. I hope you consider buying my book because I owe people money, and I'm just kidding about that. But the one thing I'm not kidding about is that this podcast and my book are dedicated to the memory of the 844 who died on the Eastland. Goodbye for now. <laughs>